0: all right if you got your bibles proverbs chapter 15 is where we are uh today and we're right in the heart of this series called foolproof where we are digging into this book of proverbs which is this collection of wisdom writings different authors uh over hundreds of years gathered together time tested proven wisdom that we can put into our life and so we've been digging in and and i've told you this book. Uh, contains all kinds of different writings. Some of it are, you know, uh, similes and all just different ways that you can engage with it. But there's one primary theme, and that theme is wisdom. It's wisdom. How do we take the wisdom that God has demonstrated and made available to us and internalize it and begin to live out of it? And we've been on this journey, and we talked about that there is a door to wisdom, kind of a door that unlocks that and begin, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, and it's not being scared, it's not being anxious. That the door, the key that opens the door, is the fear of the Lord. And and as we do that, we experience awe of God, honor of God, that leads us to respect and to submit God. It's like having a master key. I grew up in church, and this church that I grew up in was a pretty large church. And I remember my senior year of high school. I'm not sure how I swung this. I got a master key to the church. Like, I, I think somebody did it by accident. Somebody did not mean to give it to me, but they were like, we need you to unlock on Wednesdays or something. And I ended up with a master key to every door in the church. I felt like I owned the place. Like, I mean, I started exploring every door. I, I found that we had these places that nobody else, and we had this prayer tower at the top, like at 200 steps to get up. And I, went, I was like, I'll never do that again. But I was just, like, I felt like I had this key, and I owned the place. And that's what the fear of the Lord does, right? It's literally the key to wisdom to unlock the door, and we've got full access. There's nothing hidden in the, in the realms of God. The wisdom of God is unleashed to us when we begin to have awe and respect and submit and respect him as we live out our life. It's the master key. And then we talked about that there are obstacles go along this path, and those obstacles are easy to identify. They're all throughout Scripture and all throughout Proverbs. It's pride and envy. Pride stops us. Envy will stop us from walking through that door. There are traps that will slow us down as we start walking through there. And the way to overcome those, as Jared taught, was humility and selflessness. That we have to battle these. And what we want to remind you is this. Pride and envy aren't a one-time battle. It's not like, okay, I've dealt with pride once in my life, never again. Or I'm not envious of that neighbor anymore. I'm envious of this neighbor now. Like it, pride and envy are constant battles. They will constantly try to slow us down. Back when we lived in Georgia, I had a car and we were the whole family. We were driving back from the beach one uh, weekend and we were all the way back up to Atlanta. We were on this stretch of highway where there is nothing. I mean, it is just a stretch of nothingness for like 150 miles. And my car started acting up and i pull it off and tried to figure out, I'm not a mechanic, but I was like, I'll turn it off and back on, you know, that's what you do to a computer, maybe it helps with a car, and so when I did that, I turned it back on, got back on the expressway, and I was never able from that point on to get out of first gear. I'm, I'm on an expressway where the speed limit's like 75 miles an hour, and like, I'm maxing out the engine at 12. Like, I mean, you know, and for about the next 60 miles or what took about four more hours was driving to where the next stop was so that I could get out and get this car looked at. And it was like my life, sometimes our life, when we let pride and envy come in, they just, our life never gets out of first gear. We never feel like we're operating at all cylinders. It's like, why do I keep having to go back and go back because pride and envy keep ensnaring me? And then the last two weeks, we looked at once we get on there, once we push those aside and be able to tame pride and envy, we get on this path of wisdom in our life. And we start taking this journey of wisdom. And we talked about how wisdom is a relocation, not a vacation. It's not just somewhere we visit. It's a guide in 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 our life, not a map that we just pull out on occasion. It's a desire that we constantly have, not a destination we get to one day. And it's fulfillment Of us, not just this good feeling that we have. And I wanted to go back and review where we've been because now we're getting to the next part of this journey that's going to be now how do we express this wisdom? How do we start using it in our life? Because wisdom is not just something that should be stored up in our life, some savings account that we just keep putting money into and never taking money out of. It's something that we or should constantly be expressing in our lives, regularly, regularly spending it. And one of the ways that the book of Proverbs tells us that most often wisdom will be dispensed in our lives is through our words, through what we say, and how we interact with our words with other people. The words of wisdom. This is the passage that uh, Kara read earlier, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. One of the recurring themes in the book of Proverbs is understanding the power of your words. But sometimes we'll just quote a passage of scripture like this in Proverbs 18, and we think, wow, that's so true. That's a good verse. Death and life and the power. Like I'll even make that and I'll I'll put it somewhere I can read it all the time. And we think that's a cool saying, but we never let the words actually come in and impact us. Katie and I are trying to learn French right now. And so one of the things I did is I put a thing right in our mirror where I get ready every morning with, like, the main French verbs on it. And I look at it, but that's about all I do is, like, look at it. Like, yeah, I've, I've learned, like, just visually seeing the words don't equate to me actually learning French. Like, it takes practice. It takes speaking it, doing it, and internalizing it. And sometimes we read verses like this and we go, yeah. That's good. We may put it in front of us, but we don't take it in. But words are important. Why are they so important? Why do they have the power of life and death, as mentioned this in the passage? Isn't the old saying true? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the worst saying. There's no truth in that. There's no truth in that at all. Words are powerful. They impact us. They stick with us longer than any physical attack we might receive. Many of us are still impacted today by words that were spoken to us years ago, both positive and negative. We can trace back much of our self-perspective to words that we heard from our parents, our friends, our spouses, and even our children. Words carry more than just a definition. They often define who we are. They're powerful. And how They change how we think and how we ultimately live in every situation of our lives. Sometimes we regret what we say. Sometimes we wish we would have said something else. You ever had one of those arguments you've been in and you just get caught up in the moment and then it's like you get home or you get away afterwards and you're thinking, you're like, oh, I should have said this. Like, ah, man, why didn't I think about, like the other person was just boom, boom, and I was like you know, and you just felt, like, but now, like, you just want to start texting them, like, here's what I should have told you, like, and you start giving it to them that way, like, sometimes we just, we, we don't get our words till later, but words are powerful, make no mistake about it, so what I want us to do today is look at the wisdom found in Proverbs, and how to use words in a wise way, and we're going to do this over the next two weeks, how do we change the word, we can't change the words of others, but we can change our words, there's a section of Proverbs we're going to begin to look at today that kind of summarizes many of the teachings of the power of words. And what I love about this passage, in, in just a few verses, it lays the groundwork for how you and I have to have words of wisdom in almost any situation in our life. As we journey through this, you will see that it gives us direction, guidance, and help for how to deal with almost any situation that we come into, just in seven verses. So let's read together first, Proverbs 15:1 through 7. This is where our focus will be this week and next week. And it says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Wow, there is so much truth packed in these seven verses. I mean, just if we just took those and like, man, let's just read it that over and over again. There's so much that can get into our lives. But I think what this passage does is it identifies five key situational aspects of our life that we typically get in on a daily, weekly, regular basis that gives us wisdom on how to use our words. And this is what we're going to look at, how we'll use these, st- these stations of life and what are the characteristics of the wise words and the foolish words that we use. However, I want to challenge you to do something in these next two weeks uh, that maybe do more than just listen or even if you take notes. And it's this, the power of today's teaching won't impact our lives unless we're actually willing to open our heart and make this commitment to consider actually changing how you speak and the words that you use. This isn't just something that is internalized, but it's once it's internalized, it's got to make it from your heart and your mind out through your lips. And I want to challenge you as we walk through this, to really begin to identify, you know, that's me. I'm foolish in that area. Or, man, I, I'm occasionally wise in that area. Man, mean, that's an area I have a lot of wisdom in and I'm, I'm doing well at, but I need to be on guard to make sure I don't fall back into folly in that area. So just, I want to challenge you as you listen, as you take notes, uh, as you talk about this in small group, allow it to say, you know what? God, I really want these teachings to change the words that come out of my mouth. But we must be willing to stop speaking in some ways and start speaking in other ways. Sometimes when I cross, come across a passage like this in the Bible, I often focus on what I need to stop doing. And while this passage talks about some foolish ways to speak, the real power is not just in eliminating those words. The real power is found in replacing those words with wise speak. So let's look at the first one. Proverbs 15 one says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This passage gives us two very different ways and very different outcomes of how to use our words. And the situation this verse deal with uh, is a relational situation that we regularly find ourselves in and is learning the issue of conflict in relationships. How do we deal with conflict in relationships? If we were honest this morning and I said, hey, who had some conflict in a relationship this week? I think most hands would go. It doesn't mean you had to have a, like a fist fight with somebody. It was just like, you know, I had a disagreement at work or something is not jiving with me and my spouse right now or something, you know, something happened with the kids and I lost my temper with the kids. Some conflict is just regular. I think if I said, who's had some conflict this morning, most hands may go up here in the room. It's just almost part of regular life. You and I deal with hostility in relationships all the time. We live in a world where conflict is the norm and even in our most valued and loving relationships, it is present. Every day we come into conflict with our spouse, children, coworkers, friends, or just random people who do something to offend us. I if you ride the subway at all each day, you experience conflict. I mean if you're on the seven train in the mornings between eight thirty and nine thirty, like the conflict is just to get on the train. Right? I mean, it's that you look at the doors open and they look at you like, nope, no room. And you're like, yep, always room for one more. (laughs) And, you know, you do your push and you're there. And now you're like facing the doors. Next stop, what happens? You're like, nope, no room. I mean, you're like the in crowd now. And they're like, no, I'm getting. I mean, it's just conflict all the time in the simplest of days. It isn't a matter of will you face hostility in relationships It's a matter of when you will face it. And this is a major test to see if you're actually on the wisdom journey or if you've just been thinking about and studying wisdom. The ability to respond with wise words in the midst of hostility will be a result of wisdom that has been brewing and developing in your life. And let's look at how this verse tells us to respond. It first says, a soft answer turns away wrath. When I hear the idea of giving a soft answer, I think of someone with a squeaky, mousy voice trying to respond to somebody yelling, and they're just like, oh, you know, it's just like, you know, Minnie Mouse arguing with someone. It's just that that's kind of what we get. We think of someone weak, shy, reserved, uncertain, and scared, but this is not what it means at all. Instead, what the word means here, it means that where it says a soft answer, it means to cushion or lessen the impact. It is the idea that we don't just react and play verbal ping-pong with somebody when we get into conflict. We actually act with a key word, which is composure. We have composure. Wisdom causes us to respond with composure. The idea of composure means that when we take the hostility and we actually work to diffuse it instead of inflame it. The best idea to use here is the idea of pouring water onto a fire. The goal is to keep it from spreading, to keep it from turning into an out-of-control blaze that destroys everything in its path. Here are some questions that composure asks. How do I need to deal with this situation instead of how do I need to respond to this person? We look at the situation more so than just the person. And so we start asking that question. How do I deal with a situation instead of just the person? We ask questions like this. What do I need to say instead of what do I feel like saying? That's a whole different thing. Composure makes you stop and go, what do I need to say here versus what do I really feel like telling you? Right? I mean, it's there. I'm not telling you that you can stop it from popping into your head, but you certainly, wisdom can keep it from coming out of your mouth. And that's what I'm talking about this morning is actually taking our thoughts captive and changing what we say because this is one of those practices. It's happened in my life with my wife and our relationship. Like once I started taking some thoughts captive and didn't let them out of my mouth, like we got peace in our relationship, right? But then I started learning once I did that, it was like this reverse effect. I actually started thinking differently as well. Started changing some of my thought patterns when I didn't let it fully come to fruition and birth itself out. Here's another question. What is the real issue Versus what is the value of this argument? Like, what's the real issue we're dealing with here? Versus, you know, is this an argument? Is this a fight worth having? It's not the right questions. And then the the other question composure asks is this. What can I say to bring peace instead of just speaking my peace? Because I think we get caught up in that, right? Well, I don't mind if peace comes, but I got to get my say in first. I got to get my side out there first, and then we'll deal with it from there. Right? So we've got to learn to start saying, what can I say to bring peace instead of just speaking my peace, which takes us to the opposite side of this, which it says a harsh word stirs up anger. The second part of this verse tells us that foolish words, what foolish words do to a hostile situation. Instead of bringing water to put out the fire, we use our words to throw gas on a small flame and turn it into a raging inferno. We create more of a problem instead of trying to diffuse the problem. And we actually combust the problem. We, we make it bigger than it's supposed to be. Bigger than it ever intended to be. And I think there are three primary reasons we use foolish words to blow up relationships when we're facing conflict and hostility and why we combust situations. The first one is this. We think we are right. And we're, just con- we're confirmed in our heart and mind we are right. The other person's wrong 100%. I did nothing here. There's nothing that in my life, there's no shortcoming in me that added to this at all. So it's 100% their problem. And I don't have a need to be a peacemaker. I, gotta, I have a need to be a pointer-outer of what's wrong with that person. And so that's what I'm going to do because I think I'm right. But the second thing is, and I mentioned this, what we think we need to make a point. Our side must be heard. We need to legitimize our actions and our thoughts. We need to teach this person a lesson. And I can't let it go until they've learned it. And we take on this role of being judge and teacher and roles that God never intended us. The other reason we allow combustion to take over in our life is we think we need to win. We think we need to win. We turn every situation, every hostile moment into a war with winners and losers. And can I tell you this about every war that's ever been fought? There's losers on every side. Everybody loses in a war. Even though there may be peace and somebody can claim victory, there's casualties on both sides in every war. But when we start thinking, I'm right, they're 100% wrong, i got to make a point and I need to win, we just dump gas on this fire. And it stirs up more anger and combusts bigger than we ever wanted. If we handle ourselves with composure, this passage says, then it will turn away wrath the flame will slowly begin to diminish which should be our goal our goal isn't to destroy someone else with our words no matter how much it may feel right and justifies we need to stop weaponizing our words and start using them to bring peace instead not embracing the wisdom of this verse can divide friendships and destroy families If anyone is simply throwing more fuel on the fire of a conflict, it will eventually consume everything in its path. It will burn up the joy you once felt. It will burn up the peace you once experienced and the love that you once felt. A fire that once had the ability to be managed and extinguished will now leave you charred and scarred because you chose to fight fire with fire instead of act with composure and compassion. I want us to stop for a minute and to think about how you handle conflict. Because I think when we are honest with ourselves, far too often we act foolishly in relational conflict. Maybe in some areas of your life you act with wisdom, but in others you act foolishly. Maybe you act with composure at work. You keep your cool, but at home you become a blowtorch of words that combust simple situations and and burn down your house with your family in it. I want you to struggle this morning with a simple question, and that's why. Why do we do this? If all of a sudden a small fire broke out in here, right in this moment, I think most of us would immediately think, how do we put that out? How do we keep it from spreading to endanger those that are in here? Maybe there's one weirdo in here that would come and like, let's let it burn. I mean, maybe, maybe that's you, all right, let's talk afterwards. But, you know, I think most of us would be like, let's deal with it, you know, tangibly. But for some reason in our lives... When we see a fire going in a relationship, we have this temptation to just put a blowtorch on it and light it up and watch it burn and see what happens at the end. That's lunacy. It is lunacy to do that. But why do we do that? Why can't we see wisdom as this fire extinguisher instead of this this flamethrower? And I put these pictures up here just to give you an idea, PJ, pictures of like... This is. These are our two choices. When you see this, fire extinguisher, or just add fuel to the fire. And I think we make the big fire choice because often we don't feel worthy of love ourselves. We view, we view God as a flamethrower in heaven instead of a fire extinguisher. That we're always in conflict with God. I got to prove myself to God. I got to do something to make it right. Like I messed up again. He's going to punish me for that one and we constantly live in this fear that he's just going to blow it up. And I want you to hear something this morning. God loves you. God wants peace with you. God doesn't want to harm you. He wants to bring peace. He wants to put out the flames of conflict in your life. And when you can get peace there and have composure in your relationship with God, then and really only then can we truly live at composure and at peace with other people? And I want to challenge you. If you're a flamethrower in your relationships this morning, I really want to challenge you to look at what your view between you and God is. And say, how is that impacting how I view other people? Let's look at verse 2. This is as far as we'll get today. Proverbs 15:2 it says this. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. The writer now moves to another situation that you and I deal with in our relationships and how we use our words. And it's not just conflict. Now it's how we give counsel in relationships, how we actually help other people with their words. When people come to us for advice, our aid and making decisions, how do we handle that? How do we share wisdom? This is part of how wisdom flows in our lives, right? We seek additional perspectives. We try to gain insights from those that have been there and done that. This is a natural part of any relationship. This happens in friendships, work relationships, with mentors. It happens in our family, with our spouse, and especially with our children. Just like at some point you will experience conflict in every relationship, at some point you will be asked to give counsel in every relationship. What should I do here? How should I handle this? It is important to understand that we have the opportunity to give counsel and input in somebody's lives. What they are seeking is not your opinion. Instead, what they need is wisdom. Wisdom. And wisdom is much different than just your opinion. I have an opinion on a lot of things, but the truth is this: that I don't know that I have wisdom, true wisdom, on many things. And so, what we have to—this verse helps us look through—is how do we give wise words of counsel instead of foolish words of simple opinions? And it says this: the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. What does it mean when it says the tongue? Are the words of the wise commends knowledge. To commend knowledge here means to use knowledge rightly, to accurately and appropriately use it, to put it to good use is the best way, to take knowledge and understanding that you have and put it to good use, to use it the way it was designed. Our words should bring advancement into the lives of others. That's what wise words do. They bring advancement for others. They help them take a step forward, a step up when we give counsel. They should help do that. They should help break down barriers. Now, wise words aren't just these cool axioms that we can read online somewhere, like go you know, find cool quotes and just like have those in our mind when somebody says like, hey, what do you do there? And you'd be like, hold on. Like Google and be like, yeah, you know, don't do this instead do this. I mean, that's it's not what we should do. It's not these cool axioms that people can remember they are practical tools that help people move forward in their life. We often give counsel and aid without much thought. We just start sharing what's the first thought that pop into our head or telling about our own experiences. This isn't wisdom. It's just experience. And while it has some value, I want you to understand, experience detached from wisdom is simply a story. It's just a story. doesn't mean it's a good story or a bad story. But experience detached from wisdom it's just a story. To use our words to commend knowledge means that we have to educate ourselves on wh- what wisdom we are actually sharing. I don't mean that you've got to have a Ph.D. in psychology or sociology to give advice, but it does mean that we need to have thought through, prayed through, and asked God to teach us first before we try to teach other people to commend knowledge to others. We're speaking out of more than just experience. We are speaking out of wisdom we have gained through our experience and through the lens of our relationship with the Lord. We all know people that have had some meaningful experience in their lives. They like to tell the story a hundred times, right? We've all heard the story, but there's no meaning to it. It may create some camaraderie with that person, but it's not wisdom that I gain. It's just a story. Truth is when someone is in need of wisdom, sometimes saying nothing is better than just telling stories and sharing thoughts that haven't been bathed in the wisdom of the Lord. The ability to invest in other people's lives comes when we have allowed the wisdom of the Lord to start to bear fruit in our lives through our struggles, our pain, and our circumstances. How do we become a person who commends knowledge? Let me just give you some thoughts. One is this. Pray more and posture less. Actually, pray more. Don't act like you're the source of all wisdom. Rely on God. Ask him for what you should say. Don't just respond. Don't be like, oh, you, you asked me for advice? Um, um, of course, I'm the source of all wisdom. Like you're the, you're the man behind the green curtain. You know, you're the Wizard of Oz. Don't act like that's you. Just be like, you know what? Before I give you some advice, let me pray about that. Let me seek the Lord's wisdom on that. Second thing is this. Listen more and speak less. You, you aren't an expert on every subject. And sharing your opinion doesn't always add value. Sometimes you have a very uneducated opinion. And just sharing your opinion doesn't add any value. Sometimes just listen more, speak less. Don't give them more than they need. Sometimes when we ask for advice, when people ask us for advice, we just turn on the fire hydrant of words and thoughts in our life. And we start giving them every, every life lesson we've ever learned. Like, oh, you know, how should I handle, you know, where we're trying to get out of debt. How should, we, and how should we handle that? And all of a sudden, we're giving the marital relationship on how they deal with their in-laws. You know what I mean? It's like, where did this come from? We just start spewing thoughts versus actually giving them what they need. And don't try to be something that you're not, finally. If you don't have wisdom in an area, don't make something up. Don't just come up with an idea. Connect them with somebody else who maybe has a better idea than you. That's wisdom. Is connecting them. Walk with them through it. When we do these things, we help people advance in their own wisdom journey. We allow them space to grow. We give them hands a hand getting over a challenge and adding value to their life. But there's a flip side to this too, which is the second part of verse 2, and it says, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The mouths of fools pour out folly. Foolish words don't advance. They actually start to obstruct people. They keep them from moving. this is a foolish way to handle it. And I love the way the writer describes it here when he says, when we want to give counsel, a fool, folly pours out of their mouth. The word pours out literally means, translated there, to boil over. It is this idea of of a pot on a stove. It gets overheated. And in that moment, it just starts spewing whatever. It just comes out and it creates a bigger mess and creates more problems than it actually solves. In that moment, it's just this boiling over of folly, of wisdom, of not of wisdom, of folly. And it's this beautiful picture of understanding what this is. The word folly here means that it adds no value. It's empty, fruitless, and meaningless. This may seem wise, this may seem wise when, you, when they are spoken, but once they are put to use, these words fall flat and empty. One of the quickest ways to spot someone that's speaking folly like this is when they seem to have a lot to say on every issue that you're facing, but none of their advice ever works. Like it just falls flat. It's just words. And it's like they don't have a a switch to turn off. They just, they're like that pot overflowing. And it just comes out and out and out. And we may think that something like this really doesn't have any long-term impact, right? I'm just saying words. I just say whatever comes to my mind, whatever. I mean, I'm just talking. I'm just giving my thoughts and opinions, just trying to make my voice heard. But the truth is there are dire consequences to acting in a foolish manner. And we have the opportunity to invest in someone when they need real counsel and aid. The truth is this. If someone comes to you for counsel and aid, it means that they are in some kind of vulnerable or compromised position. They're in need of actual help and aid. Our words at this point can either help them or harm them. Our words can become an obstacle to their advancement or a help to their advancement. If our words are based in folly instead of wisdom, we start adding to their problems. We lead them down meaningless paths. We, ha- we give them things and tasks to do that confuse them rather than clarify things for them. And we we'll create false hope instead of offering real help. Words of folly are usually easy to spot. Here's some thoughts as we close. One, somebody speaking with folly, they usually always have something to say. Always have something to say. Foolish advice comes very quickly and without much thought. It's what's at the top of their heads or on the tips of their tongues. It comes without any real thought or insight. It's quick and it's usually a very shallow answer. And then second is there's always something new to try. Folly means there's always something new to try. Foolish advice is always looking for the next solution because the previous solution didn't bring any results. They're going from one snake oil to the next. Read this, watch this, try this, do this. It is one after the other. And then folly advice always does this. It always leads to frustration in the end. Foolish advice may be exciting to begin with, but a quick new idea, a quick fix, seemingly that no one has ever thought of before, but in the end, it just creates more frustration and more longing for real wisdom in our life. Foolish wisdom is easily exposed with time. And empty words just create more trash in our life instead of fruit in our life. Why? Why do we do this? I think it comes down to this idea that we are longing to be significant. We want to help people. We want our words to make a difference. We want our lives to mean something, to add value. But the significance is not found in our simple thoughts, our opinion. It only comes when we surrender to the truth of the Lord. Look at this last passage out of Isaiah 55, and I love this. This is one of those I hold on to and I'm grateful for that it's in the scripture. It says, for my thoughts, talking about God, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The beauty of this verse is that you and I have complete access to the wisdom and to the higher way of thinking of the Lord not by uncovering it within ourselves, not by discovering it inwardly, but by attaching our lives to the God of the universe who created us, loves us, and wants to connect with us. It comes to a personal encounter with him, not just a cursory knowledge of him. And that happens through an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through a connection, through the God of heaven coming to earth, living a life sinless, perfect example of wisdom, that we can walk after and not just follow, but get to know and have relationship with. You don't want to be a person of folly who just speaks and lets things go. You don't want to be a a flamethrower in relationships. Allow the power, the wisdom, the forgiveness of hope of Christ to come into your life to change and understand how you operate, and then that will change how you speak. My question for you today is this. Will you surrender your words of wisdom to Jesus, to Christ, to the Lord? Will you surrender your words of wisdom to him? Will you stop using your words as a weapon in relationships? And will you stop sharing your opinions and start dispensing the wisdom of the Lord? That happens when we connect with our creator and our savior through Christ. We bow your head and close your eyes. As we come to this prayer time, it's just going to be a quiet moment of reflection today. And I want to kind of just have this moment where we stop and let the quietness and the stillness of this in just a minute challenge us to think where we are. Am I a flamethrower? Am I boiling over with just words and opinions? Where is it that you need to change your words this morning? Just spend just a moment or two and allow these questions that we talked about to flow into your mind. You surrender your words, wisdom to Christ. We stop using your words as a weapon. You we stop sharing your opinions and start dispensing the wisdom of the Lord. Father, these are tough words. But we use words every day. It's how we speak, communicate. It's how we interact whether it's written or spoken or read. It's, it's every part of who we are. So God, today, would you allow us to surrender our words to you? God, I know all across this room, and even in my own heart and my own family, there are times every person we fall into these categories throw fuel on the fire instead of try to be peace. And, we just speak without thinking and let thoughts just boil and overflow out of our hearts and minds without putting any real thought into it. It's the easy thing to do. Help us not to do the easy thing today. Help us to look into you, to trust in you. And God, if there is someone here this morning that for the first time would be like, I, I know I've never had that connection with God. I've never made peace with God. I always feel this contempt and anger with God would you let us first understand that we can have that peace and harmony and connection with you through a relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you let that peace flow into our lives first and then allow our words to be changed and made different? And I pray for homes this morning that may be on fire because of words that have been spoken to each other. God, would you bring peace there? Would you allow whatever parties there are to start to extinguish those flames instead of adding to them. God, I know there are hearts in here who have a longing to share and help other people. But help us to do it the right way with a dependence on you instead of just our thoughts and opinions. God, let our words be different this week as we leave this place. Continue to teach us next week as we continue to look through this passage.